1: I'm Alex Higley.
0: And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And And I'm I'm a writer. Rider, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer, but today we have Rachel Krantz. Rachel is a journalist and one of the founding editors of Bustle, where she served as senior features editor for three years. Her work has been featured on NPR, The Guardian, Vox, Vice, and many other outlets. She's the recipient of the Robert F. Kennedy Journalism Award, the Investigative Reporters and Editors Radio Award, the Edward R. Murrow Award, and the Peabody Award for her work as an investigative reporter with YR Media. And she's also the host of the new podcast, Help Existing. Welcome, Rachel. Welcome. Hi. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Thanks for
2: coming Very on.
0: exciting. We, uh, we loved your book. There's so much for us to talk about and ask you about. Um, but first, we'd love to hear you read. Great. Thanks. Yeah. So I'm just going to read a
2: short bit from the first chapter. And just to set the stage, um, it starts with, I've gone over to this older man, Adam's house. I'm on the tales of a breakup. And I find him very intriguing, but also kind of intimidating and um, confusing. There was definitely still something hard to read about him, oddly serious and unconcerned with politeness. Granted, he had the angular jaw and straw brow bone of, a, of Jake Gyllenhaal, Jewish looking only in his dark curls and the tasteful smattering of chest hair peeking through his shirt. Yes, he'd seemingly read everything I'd meant to, written two books, was ple- pleasurably tall and muscular, taught at a graduate level. Fine. He was clearly the kind of grown-ass man I'd begun to believe was above my pay grade in Brooklyn. Had lamented to my straight girlfriends we'd never find if we stayed in the land of spoiled, hipster man-children. But there had to be a catch. There was always a catch. What is it? He asked. Tell me. I'd learn it was one of his favorite commands. Tell me. I just got out of a relationship, and I promised myself I wouldn't... (laughs) That's fine. There's no obligation here. His gaze was so hawk-like, penetrating yet calm. I am looking for a partner, someone to share my life with. And I like you, but we're not even close to there yet. Of course, I know. I looked down. I sound like a silly little girl. But since we're talking about it, you should know something else about me. So here it was. I readied myself. If you were to become that partner for me... I would never restrict you. What do you mean you wouldn't restrict me? I asked cautiously. I mean that you could still date and sleep with other people, even fall in love again. I don't want to restrict my partner's experiences, Adam said, maintaining firm eye contact, speaking slowly like he was delivering good news in a new language. If you were my primary partner, I would just need to feel privileged and know what's going on in your experiences outside the relationship. As long as you were honest and safe, you would be free. Free to do whatever you wanted. My stomach dropped. He didn't mention that on his profile. So you're polyamorous, I said, flatter than I'd intended. Well, I don't really like labels, he answered. It's just about the way I want to be in a relationship, not really an identity. But yes, I've been in non-monogamous relationships before. The rest were mostly monogamous, but I've realized now this is the way I want to be towards someone I love. I don't want my insecurities running my partner's life. I don't want to control someone in that way. So then you would want to date other people too, right? Why was the idea already making my cheeks flush and my pulse beat in my ears? I had no claim to him. Like I said, I'm looking for a partner to share my life with. So that's not really the priority now yes, I would probably want to have some of the same freedoms sometimes, but I'm willing to be flexible for the right person, he added. So there it was. I should have known a man like this would never be satisfied with just one woman. He'd devoured the hundreds of books in that apartment, gotten rid of many more, was hungry still. Of course I wasn't special. Of course he would need other women, more beautiful, mature, well-read, no doubt, to feel satisfied. Of course, everyone made it. who made it to the second round got this dinner, this seductive interrogation. But there were other feelings mixed in there too, a sort of recognition, a sense of exciting possibility.
0: Thank you. And that was an excerpt from Rachel's new book, Open, an Uncensored Memoir of Love, Liberation, and Non-Monogamy. Um, lots, lots, lots to talk about. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I was so intrigued is, um, that you mentioned how you decided during the relationship that you were going to write about it. Um, Mm -hmm. because it was, it was, it was this whole world opening up to you, um, that was speaking to you in a lot of ways. And as a writer, you know, you, you wanted to make something out of that. Um, I'm putting words into your mouth. That's not what you said, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you knew as you were in the relationship and exploring all these, these new, um, options that you wanted to, to write, something about it. Um, and I would just love to hear you talk about that process. Um, you know, how you kept yourself in the moment as a partner and also in the moment as a writer, you, you get at it a little bit in the book, but I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about it.
2: Yeah, sure. It's a great question. Well, so it's complicated, right? I didn't exactly know I was going to write about it, but the idea of writing about it in book form anyway, one day, began to become a sort of elaborate coping mechanism, Mm -hmm. um, an idea that all the jealousy I was experiencing and eventually lots of gaslighting and emotional abuse was for a greater purpose. It was this way of feeling like I had this imaginary audience as my uh, witness, as I was increasingly dissociating or pushing myself beyond limits I was comfortable with in order to please, Adam, but also be an emotional explorer, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the idea that there was a reason I was doing it besides my own um, masochism, potentially, the motivations really fed each other symbiotically. I knew that this was what Adam wanted. He seemed to always need me to be moving faster. And so the idea that I was also gathering material in addition to living my life and exploring these things that I wanted to explore anyway, it kind of helped me push myself at the pace he seemed to demand, which I wanted because I was in love with him and also because I found it very interesting. As an immersion journalist, you know, I was like, this is a fantastic Amazing journey I'm on, you know, it's very complex, it's very confusing. In some ways, I was coming into my queerness and exploring all these different ways people are in non-monogamous relationships and meeting people who are doing it really well in inspiring ways. I wanted to depict at the same time. I was getting increasingly um mired and anxious and addicted to weed and over-exercise. I mean, just really getting out of control. So, yeah, that that's kind of the answer to it, is that. I I wasn't sure I was going to write about it, but when an agent approached me about a year into the relationship, had seen just a couple articles I'd written at Bustle where I was senior features editor that were not so personal, um, but did disclose that I was in a non-monogamous relationship. But, you know, I was reporting, what is jealousy? Like, why do we get jealous? And and researching psychology um, that. An agent said, you know, you should write a book about this. I haven't seen a reporter um, who's also living it. It should be like a modern update on Thy Neighbor's Wife by Gay Talese. And and I said, yeah, that's great, but I'm literally sick to my stomach. I am very bad at this. I don't know that this is for me at all. And she said, well, just start writing things down. And I was already keeping a journal because that was how I was processing my feelings. And I kept a journal historically. Um, And so it kind of just went from there that I started, you know, putting more intention behind sometimes journaling what I could or more often using the audio recorder on my phone with people's consent um, to record what was going on as it was happening. And just the last thing I'll say about that is that the recorder was part of the coping mechanism, was part of the um, desire to have a witness, whereas... Mm -hmm. There became more and more gaslighting, and Adam would say, You're remembering things wrong, or I didn't say that, or repeat back to me what I said, or, um, you know, you, that's not reality. I was like, Okay, I guess I better record this so that I have some sort of record of reality. And this was all during me, too. So it was both my journalistic instinct, but also my um socialization, I guess, saying like if I do ever want to write about this, I better have an immaculate record because otherwise I won't be believed. Mm -hmm. And what's more than that, I'm so confused and on drugs half the time that I don't trust myself to remember. So I wanted a real record. Mm -hmm.
1: That leap, Rachel, from writing about, you know, jealousy or kind of things adjacent to non-monogamous relationships, but not as much from a personal standpoint to being approached by an agent and kind of going you know forward with a little bit more intention towards maybe a book is the aspect of this that I'm so interested in because I feel like the form that this book takes seems like it would be so difficult after the book was published because there's so much that is presented just so directly. And, Mm -hmm. and, and you're not, you do not hide in the form of this book and you do not, there's not a lot that is obscured. Um, And I was, I just, I kept thinking as a writer, I I thought I could not write this book, Mm -hmm. not even about, not even about my own sex life, but about like anything in my life. I thought like this, I mean, even the way that it's presented kind of year by year, Uh, in your life from what's the first year 20
2: 27
1: 27 to is it 31 or yeah yeah yeah, so 27 to 31 and uh, I just I was I was impressed by your bravery on the page (laughs) and I was I was wondering how you arrived at the form you did for open and if that was something that you deliberated on a lot or if you just knew this is how I'm going to present this book
2: Oh, well, thank you. And thank you for these questions. It's like very fun for me to get to talk about craft because I've had some of these conversations, but you know, mostly people want to talk about what is non-monogamy and it's, it's like, you know, I, I think that's part of the purpose of me as a sort of ambassador to help destigmatize many of the issues that are Mm -hmm. uh, stigmatized in the book, but also, um, you know, I think of what, um, Roxane Gay said about uh, in this interview with The Guardian that I quote in the book of like when you're a female writer writing personally like people treat it like it's a diary entry and that it wasn't like a lot of work and a pe- and craft you know so thank you first of all for that. Um, so as I was living it I was just gathering material basically. I think I had written basically s- some of an early draft of the first chapter, basically anything up to, um, you know, when I might potentially make Adam anything but completely sympathetic in all moments. And then I would censor myself because I was still with him. And I was like, I can't, I can't write this honestly, uh, anything besides our, our meat cute, because after that, I would just have to start censoring things for it not to be that people would look at him badly in some way. And I couldn't have that. So that was one reason why I was like, I really don't know I can write a book about this because I still am hoping this relationship is going to work out. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, but I was in the gathering material and research phase of, and the immersion journalism phase of living it. Um, And exploring it and thinking critically about it and, and reading somewhat about it and definitely journaling. Um, in terms of when the actual structuring and writing came was when I finally decided, you know, I'm going to do this when I was, uh, yeah, 32, I guess. <laughs> yeah, 32. Um, and it kind of come through the other side and I felt like I have so... I. Have so much material here, I want to do this to kind of i guess prove to prove to mouth was capable of discerning, especially after he had said things a lot to me of like you know you're not ready to do that or you can't you can't do that um, things that diminished the form of writing personally, that it was kind of like a you know what this is valuable, this is journalism, this is brave, and a sort of exorcism of in some ways, the voice that had taken over my head in an attempt to come back to a sense of clarity in my own narrative, literally by constructing it in real time. So, you know, the book sold on proposal. And the book I sold was different than this was by a lot in terms of it was what my agent had suggested I pitch, which was going to be kind of eight chapters, you know, profiling different people or styles of non-monogamy and that some of me would come weaving in and out, but it would be almost more like, you know, eight essays or magazine articles or profiles. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, okay, I can imagine doing that because I, it would be a heavy lift, but you know, I certainly have plenty of material and I've written a few magazine articles by then. Um, But I said, you know, I do have, by that point, I had just a couple chapters. Like the first chapter, I had the story of me meeting Miranda who, uh, and my first experiences with her. I had a few things that were narrative, but still gave some sense of how I might weave reporting and research in. And she said, well, send it to me. You know, let's, let's take a look. And after she read that, she was like, yeah, we should go in this direction. Like this is very <laughs> compelling, you know. I think. And she said to me something I'll always be very grateful for. She said, just write the book you want to write. Yeah. Um, and that just gave me permission. I didn't think I was really capable of um, or I, I didn't know how I was going to structure it at first because I just never told a story that long um, and something plot driven as it ended up being, you know, character and plot driven, but you know luckily for me I didn't have to make it up. I had <laughs> plenty of material. And so I kind of created a timeline um, of the mo- I created first a master doc of what I've I went through all the primary source stuff got so much transcribed. I mean spent a bunch of my advance like getting all of these like days and days and days of audio transcribed and like oh felt like I was like in a beautiful mind or some, you know, like clearly <laughs> out the deep end, like, Oh my God, this is nuts. You know? Oh my um, God. And I was just like going through all of it. And then I went through all my old journals, which luckily more mostly on the computer and Google docs, but you know, also some on print and I transcribed it and I went through all my, um, you know, ebook highlights and highlights in all the books I'd read, not just the ones that were related, but many of the ones that you see quoted throughout the book of these, these other authors and, and people who I view as sort of the Greek chorus of these other, mostly women echoing my journey, echoing my experience, even though they're completely different people from another time. So I had sort of spent so much time just in my head, you know, over the years stoned, seeing all the, the accidental poetry of everyday life, like I say in the book of these bizarre connections, these synchronicities that were happening in, in my life and in what I was reading and um, even what was happening, you know, in the world at the time, all these things. And I just tried to create a, a master primary source document mm-hmm. of all that material and um, And I also tried to look at the transcripts of which of these are strong enough that they might stand on their own as scenes. And I wrote out the timeline of what I remembered the most um, important kind of plot events being. Um, And I kind of went from there, I I used that timeline. I also used um, the heroine's journey was really useful for me just in terms of not even just, I didn't really need to um, adhere to that structure, it was more that it validated my timeline. So when I had written out the timeline of that journey that I knew I wanted to roughly cover, you know, 27 to 31, um, I was like, holy shit, like this very much mimics what she's talking about in the heroine's journey, which is a, um, you know, a reimagining of the traditional hero's journey. Mm -hmm. it goes roughly along the same, you know, plot points of meeting the mentor and um, into the cave at the end or, you know, but it's also kind of approaching it as the journey is much more internal. Um, It's not literal monsters you're fighting or a war it's yourself and you're reconciling. You're starting out with rejecting traditional femininity um, and, and, kind of identifying with the masculine and ending up at a place where you sort of return to an integration of the feminine and the masculine. So anyway, that's, that's how I did it. I had that primary source doc. I had the, the timeline. I looked at the heroine's journey and, you know, just kind of had that validate the timeline, but also help a tiny bit in some of the aspects were movable around um although I was really pretty strict maybe too strict I really adhered to the timeline but there's a couple things of you know for example where you meet Kathy my counselor who's a reoccurring um you know character throughout the book and a part of my life throughout the book and I recorded all of her therapy sessions which again yeah. is you know nuts But also interesting (laughs) um, that I was like, "Oh, okay. Where do I bring her in? Meeting the mentor stage. This is where it makes sense." And and it turned out that it really, I really did meet her at that time in the story where it was naturally falling anyway. So, was it was wild to just see how these structures are so. Um, archetypal, because they really do represent just kind of emotional trajectories or journeys that a lot of us go on over certain periods in our life, I think.
0: Mm. On the cover of your book, there's a blurb from Dr. Christopher Ryan, um, who's the author of Sex at Dawn, which is something you reference in the book as well. Um, And he says this book will help a lot of people. And I wonder if you knew that as you were writing, if you were thinking about other people out there or, um, even like a, a little audience of Rachel's kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. looking for, um, cause it's not a how to, um, it's not, you know, it's not a tale of, and this was a successful polyamorous mm-hmm. open relationship, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it has so much, you know, Alex was refer- referencing a little bit of that as well. There's so much information in it. Um, and I wonder if you were thinking of, of, of it sort of being a, uh, I don't want to say guide, but, but just, uh, you know, something that would help
2: Mm -hmm. as you were writing. I was, and that was very motivating to me because I didn't, I didn't want it to just be like, look at this train wreck (laughs) and, (laughs) you know, you can, that's part of the, the pleasure I'm sure. But also like, I wanted to contextualize it, but I wanted to go beyond contextualizing it. And having uh, just commentary or here's how it reflects the statistics and actually have actionable, um, you know, either social actions and points or a hotline you can call or certain mindfulness techniques that have helped me. Um, or, you know, for example, there's like one of the things that can I was grappling a lot with through those years and, and in the book is what is... You know how do you even figure out your boundaries like what mm-hmm. what are those right mm-hmm. um and so then i have you know someone talking about that briefly and, and that's where i used the footnotes which are you know mostly pretty voicey but also kind of the information packs where it's like okay the book reads hopefully in a page turning narrative way there's some of the research and reporting woven in but mostly I wanted to really read memoir, read, you know, novelistic. Mm-hmm. But then you have this extra layer of book of the footnote of like, and now if you want to understand this better, you know, you can step outside and, and look at that. Um, so, yeah, helping people was definitely a main motivator. And like I say, towards the end of the book, I wanted to do it for someone curled up in the very same ball that I was in. That I, that yeah. was sort of my resolution. Um as I was coming back to myself and just heartbroken and I was reading so much and I just, I wanted to pay forward what so many of these writers, many of them women, you know, were giving me, which was a sense of not being alone in my feelings, a way of um, understanding them and also potentially roadmaps, you know, of when, when you're in a situation where someone tells you for years you're not capable, Um, and you can't take care of yourself, that you literally can start to forget that it's even possible, like that you could survive on your own or that you wouldn't die. It feels like you would would be cutting off your own limb to leave. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to show, you know, someone who goes through at least um the beginnings of healing and kind of have that part especially be a little bit of a a roadmap of some of the things that helped me while keeping it narrative
1: there's a point maybe like three quarters of the way through the book rachel where i think you're talking with your mother and your mother's friend if i remember correctly about where and you're the in the in the book you say, you know, I, I, I was responding to my mom in a way that I had become, you know, familiar with, I'm obviously paraphrasing mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, about, you know, how there's, there's value to sitting in the discomfort, or mm-hmm. I can't remember your exact words. I apologize. I didn't have the page, but, um, and I wondered if that kind of condition is related to your impulse to write, if that is a prerequisite for some if if that is generative for you if 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 sitting in discomfort and kind of like a sustained gutting it out type of situation is 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 related to your your creative process
2: it is or it was, but it's been um you know different on the other side, especially coming to making meditation and um just learning. More about Buddhism and and kind of the theories behind that. Um, I think I value equanimity more than I did before, and so sitting in discomfort now, for me, is often it doesn't look as extreme on the outside anymore. It looks like sitting still and staring at a wall for an hour when everything in our culture says that's not mm-hmm. that's not what you do anymore. You know, so it's my own. Um, I think I'll always have an interest in unearthing my own discomfort through both external and internal measures, but I think in this case it was just like a perfect cocktail. I wanted to explore these things. I was very incentivized to if I wanted to stay with him, and I was younger, and I, I think that I had never really had like a stage. I had never been someone who hooked up with people or even dated around. I'd just been a serial monogamist before I met Adam. And so there was this feeling of like, all right, like, I just, I need to push myself to these limits because I want to live fully you know and I want to feel all the feelings and and I'll take the lows because I love the highs and because the lows are also generative and that sort of artist romantic attitude I guess but I think I needed to push it so far in that direction to realize that if you keep moving too fast or too extreme you actually just hit a point at least for me where it's it's not um you're maybe experiencing a lot of discomfort, but it's at a lot of ways unnecessary or not super generative. And you're going to kind of actually start, or for me, like self-medicating a lot, lose your focus. Um, so for me, I found like, yeah, I think pushing it to that extreme limit, I doubt I will have the energy to do again, but who knows? I think that said, I, I will continue to be interested in. immersion journalism and pushing myself like one idea I have for a book I don't know if it'll be the next one or someday is like I want to confront my fear of death right by any means necessary maybe some trip around the world with all the different uh doctors and psychedelics and shamans and different people just seeing if I can look that in the eye really closely for a set amount of time can I transform my fear of that in any real way so I mean I guess in that way. Yeah. I'm, I'm still pretty yeah, I was interested, say exactly. right? <laughs> but I'm also not going to be like um, burying myself alive or doing the most extreme thing you could possibly do. Like I, I think I value my mental health more now.
0: Well, you say that now, Rachel. We'll see. <laughs> right. Anything for a story. <laughs> yeah, that, I was going to ask you that if you would ever undertake this kind of project again. I was calling it gonzo journalism. Is that not what people mm. call it anymore? It's immersion journalism.
2: Yeah. I mean, it can be gonzo journalism, but yeah, I think immersion journalism is, is more the term I hear.
0: What were like the rewards for you of that kind of, like if you were to step back and, and look at it maybe in terms of like career or growth in terms of your writing, what, what rewards did you, do you find in, in, in immersion journalism?
2: Hmm. Well, Career, I think it's a little early to say since the book came out recently, and I'm not I'm not sure, you know, like how well it's gonna. It's been like selling out pretty well, but not it's not like a bestseller or anything like that. So I think it's gonna be one of those ones that's like slow and steady, spreading through word of mouth. There's totally. a lot of resistance. To yeah, the topic, it's a touchstone.
0: So, yeah, it's yeah. it's something people can like return to again and again.
2: I hope so. Thank you, and so I think you know some of it will depend on like, what can I get another book deal writing about? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think personally, yeah, I am. It's just, it's the way I have always kind of been as a writer. I enjoy, I enjoy reporting because I like asking questions and I enjoy immersive reporting because I'm sort of a Well, like an emotional adventurer. Like I said, I'm very curious about a lot of things and about life. um, And I enjoy, you know, novelty and excitement, but I can also be, like most writers, pretty introverted and Mm. shy in groups. So Mm. having this pretense, right, of a recorder or even in my own mind of like, maybe this will be a story, it helps me be braver in certain situations where I might otherwise just be too. Um, shy or scared to do the things I already want to do.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to give a little bit of a nod to how funny the book is at times.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh my God.
0: Often it's, it's your sort of like mental asides, you know, when like you're <laughs> sort of like in the moment processing or acknowledging something that is, you know, quite funny <laughs> and I to know if that came as you were writing um, or, you know, like, or how you gave yourself permission for that to exist in this book because it really um, lends like a a truly delightful sort of humanity to an already very human book. (laughs) Thank
2: Um, you. Yeah I mean I think it did come naturally but I definitely like leaned into it just because there's so much of it's just you and alone with the screen so long that you got to have those lines that are just like cracking yourself up every time (laughs) like you know (laughs) there's so much joy in that or just like this keeps it fun for me too, to have these little things, can I make myself laugh? You know, and um, and also it was just funny. And I think you have to have a sense of humility if you're a writer in general. I think those are the best writers have a sense of humility, but also memoirists, especially of a you know, this is just funny, especially. I mean, it's darkly funny a lot mm-hmm. of the time. But looking back at some of the journal entries that I quote to me, those are some of the funniest things. Because who can't relate to like reading a journal of their earlier self and being like, "This is so cringy and hilarious." <laughs> and um, and so, you know, with the journal entries, I quoted them verbatim. But I also use ellipses um, where to mark where I've cut. You know, if I want to smush things together and I never cut in a way that would alter like what it actually the point of it was, but I definitely did sometimes like look at that as like where can I, you know, condense this and cut that it'll have the greatest comic effect, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and and kind of be that combination of sometimes poignant, sometimes cringy, sometimes just like hilarious.
1: I don't think the book would work if it wasn't funny. I mean It, it, because I, my like stereotypical preconceived notions of like oh like non monogamy or like polyamorous stuff is so not funny
2: mm-hmm.
1: that I I you know you do you know what I'm saying Lindsay yeah. Yeah, you mm-hmm, like, like mm-hmm. I just was I'm thinking about like a certain type of man I guess it's mostly about the men I think like or, I guess I have less of stereotypes of women. I don't know why that is, but I I think of like a certain type of guy, and I'm just like, God, fuck that guy. (laughs)
0: Like,
1: (laughs) I don't know. Like,
0: I don't even want to.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm 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 not being generous in this moment, but but the the tone that Lindsay just pointed out, I feel like it really makes the book work because your writerly self, your kind of duality in all of these moments throughout the book, this kind of double presence and double awareness is, I think, just what makes it such a unique book. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, otherwise, other, I honestly don't think it, the book would work unless it was as funny as it was.
2: Uh. Thank you so much. I really, oh, wow. Just, you know, writers feed on this kind of praise. Thank you. You're like sustaining me for the next three months. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I I agree. A lot of the, you know, it's interesting you say that about fuck fuck that guy, because uh, someday when I process what publishing this has been like, I keep having like the phrase in my head of like some kind of essay of like, fuck that lady. (laughs) And that was a (laughs) phrase that even as I was writing it, I had preemptively of myself knowing my own biases against that are just so baked in, even if I don't believe them, that can be that initial knee jerk reaction against um, women who write about their sex lives or women who Mm. write about non-monogamy, especially of just like, Ugh, she's probably just doing it for the attention and add on that on top of it that I'm telling this complex story of like I was sort of thinking maybe one day this will be a book and it's it's not you know this then it's like even more like oh my god fuck that lady you know <laughs> and so I just I knew I was very sincere the whole time and that it's the whole endeavor was incredibly um sincere and complex and I think I'm a person worth empathizing with, but it was so interesting to me that I, I was imagining this, this judgment of hmm. the imaginary reader or the person picking up the book or even seeing about it and being like, "Ugh, this again, like this attention seeking fuck this late. So I wonder if part of the fuck this guy thing is like also like maybe if you're, I don't know, do you identify as a man? I do. So maybe it's partially that like identification has something to do with it of your and that I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That is to be clear, I, do I don't think mean, it'd be don't much mean, harder for a man to write this book at this point in society. For,
1: yeah, well, definitely.
2: Sure.
1: <laughs> I, to be clear, I don't mean Adam. I just mean, yeah. like, even before I picked up the book, just just thinking like of some kind of stereotypical mm-hmm. whatever. You had but- the
0: same sort of reaction that she did in the moment when Adam told her oh, you can see other people.
1: Yeah, I guess. Which was way, like, yeah, oh, you mean right.
0: you want to see other people. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I want to say, Rachel, I, I understand. I, I had not obviously thought about what you just said, but it's so interesting to me that you had that 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 fear. But it makes perfect sense. But anyone who goes through this book, I mean, you, this, the places that you reach are so nuanced that it would be hard for me to imagine... A person who's actually staying with you in this book, reading it page by page and arriving at that kind of opinion. I mean, where you end up just some of the layers and layers of nuance on, you know, oh my God, uh, abuse in relationships or, uh, you know, different. is this actually a supportive situation that's happening by you know i don't know i I just there were so many times where i was like god damn i have no idea i mean (laughs) even with being i don't know so yeah i mean i was i was totally i was totally with you on that even though it was yeah i i'm completely fumble fucking my words here so no
2: no (laughs) thank you and i mean i have been really heartened to see that the bulk of the responses in terms of people, my DMS are open. So I was kind of afraid what's going to come at me. And I did take down the contact form on my website because I was getting some, you know, your trashy slut whore kind of (laughs) stuff. And, but you know, that has been so much less. And by and large, it's just people being like, you know, thank you. It's been monogamous people who are in, um, abusive relationships. It's been, um, Monogamous people who are just grappling with what do I want versus what does society want me to want. It's been other bisexual women. It's been other um, non-monogamous people who just appreciate that you know there's a flawed, relatable depiction of a non-monogamous person that we don't have to be perfect in every moment in order to um, exist and and be accepted in some way. So I've been very heartened at the love is outweighing the hate. Um, but I do, I do think there's that, uh, that hesitance. And I had I don't read reviews anymore. But when I did it first on Goodreads, I noticed, and this is nothing surprising, you know, like, Melissa Feebos writes about this in her new uh, book, Bodywork, of just like, this is what you expect. If you're a woman writing about her life, especially her sex life, that doesn't make it right. But that's some of the critiques. Were, why was she with him? He was abusive, hmm. like three stars, you know. <laughs> or oh like, or like, I hated this relationship, you know. And oh it's like, God. well, okay, so well, you're create or like non monogamy doesn't work, you know. So it's just so transparent sometimes of like what's being critiqued is not the work but the lifestyle. Hmm. But I also think or the life experience, right? um But that's that's part for the course partially of writing memoir. Uh, it's it doesn't make it right, but I also, I understand that readers get confused because the story you are putting forward is the story of, of you, um, and maybe they don't like that, that trajectory always, but yeah, by and large, it's been very positive, so I've been pleasantly surprised.
0: Yeah, Goodreads isn't a, uh, a place for any critical thought Whatsoever, like people put more thought and a detail and attention into their Amazon reviews of like a vacuum (laughs) than they ever do to like any media that they consume. It's just like you know, they just don't put that much thought into it. Um, and I feel like I've seen
2: some good ones though. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It took me a while. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. I was just gonna say it took me a while in the beginning to realize like, oh, I don't have to, I could visit Goodreads and just read the four and five star reviews and admit to myself that I'm too thin skinned to read the negative ones. And I was like, actually, that feels great in all these moments where I'm kind of scared because, oh my God, I just put this out into the world. And did it even, did all these years of effort and living, you know, matter? Was it successful to hear the individuals who got it and who were moved by it or who had helped has been very helpful to me. So yeah, any writers listening, I was like, oh yeah, that's an option. I forgot, like you could just skim through and at the nice, only look at the nice ones if you have the self-control. And then I've been, you know, responding to some of those people um, oh, that's great. and it's, it's really nice actually. So I, some people do put care into it, but yeah, it could be also that-
0: pretty careless. There is something to that. Cause I, I think like when I run workshops, that's how I run them is we talk about what we like and what we see, not what we think isn't working or what we, you know, don't care for um, because I, I actually do think like, yes, it feels good, but you also learn a lot um, through that. Like you learn a lot about how people are, are seeing what you're writing or, you know, like what they're getting out of it, which might be surprising um, or something you hadn't expected. Um, and I think it is, I think it is really informative just beyond like sort of being reassuring. (laughs) Um, I think it's, it's a very useful thing for a writer to, to see that kind of, you know, that kind of praise and also, and this is what I got out of it. And this is what I see.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I I feed on it. Like I said, I mean, it really, I've been just encouraging any interview. I'm like, please reach out to me. Like if it may, and it it's made such a difference to me because, it's so easy to let external measurements of, Oh, how many Mm -hmm. copies is it selling or, Oh, you know, these external things that don't matter as much as when someone messages you and says, you know, you just helped me leave a relationship that I needed to leave for years. Like, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. What more can I want than that? So yeah, I really appreciate hearing from people.
1: I was, I was really interested at, uh, Towards the end, there's a there's a paragraph where you you mention your your early readers and you I think you even say beloved early readers
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's about some of the rea- some of those people's reactions to the character of Adam in the book and to how some of the reactions were strongly negative. Is that fair?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck that guy. I want to get him in the balls. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> right,
1: right. And I was curious if. Any of that was surprising to you? And if it was not surprising, if hearing that kind of feedback from people you trust, you know, kind of the opposite of good, a lot of Goodreads in a way, right? These are people that you you know are intelligent, you know are invested in your work because these are people you know. Did that alter editing going back or did it alter your thinking on anything?
2: Hmm. Um. Well, it made it clear to me that I needed to be more explicit in, you know, there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot that is explicit in terms of my exploring um, the psychological reasons why he was acting the way he was, which is not the same thing as absolving him of responsibility. I think I'm Mm -hmm. holding him very responsible, even if it's, you know, a pseudonym and I've changed identifying characteristics like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not really leaving any stone unturned here, hardly. Um, There were some things I didn't include just because I was like, this isn't necessary, or it felt slightly petty too, or something like that, but, you know, if I deemed it necessary or of benefit to the reader um, more, you know, in a way that it was maybe necessary that he was going to be made more vulnerable, even if under pseudonym, I I went usually with making him more vulnerable. And and to me, I just struggled a lot with um, feeling like I was betraying him by telling the truth of what happened, um, even with all the nuance. And, you know, it was very helpful to be talking with so many friends and psychologists along the way saying, no, this is important. Like this is, you know, we need to have these conversations or it's important. Um, Or even them saying, hey, this was abuse. And I was like, ew, don't use that word. And, um, you know, like just, I was sort of untangling a lot of my own um, shame and denial over how bad it was. and, And kind of because it was a situation where it's all in your head, right, and you're told it's all in your head, when you leave, it can be, even with all this quote-unquote evidence I had, right, and the transcripts that you can't argue with of how I'm being talked to, um, that there was still the, like, the the interior internalized gaslighting of myself of, like, oh, but come on, you're gonna, like, make this into this victim narrative. You're going to make it, you know, even as I knew that's not what I was doing. Um, So it was just really interesting to me to move through all that in the writing and interviews and to watch that happening and to sort of balance still loving Adam and be feeling grateful to him and, and caring about him and wanting to have that come through at the same time that I'm not I'm not hiding anything about what he did that was harmful Mm -hmm. and I'm not absolving him or making excuses for it, but I'm more curious of how can we, you know, have relationships where people are held accountable for wrongful behavior and are expected to either work on it or lose the person or people they're with at the same time as having empathy and curiosity about, well, what What is it that's causing so many, you know, especially cis men with women, although certainly not exclusively abuse goes in all directions and permutations, but, mm-hmm. you know, with Me Too, like, why why are we seeing it go this one direction more often? And And to me, I really saw the story of me and Adam as this sort of fable of he represents the values of patriarchy. And I represent trying to adhere to sort of this um, submissive femininity that he brings out in me in deference to his um, masculinity, which is always being right and hyper rationality and dominance. And, um, you know, the idea that progress means you're always moving forward, you're always moving faster, having having more sensation. Um, I wanted to show like how we're both suffering under that system because Mm -hmm. that's the reality just the same way as like white people also suffer in a different way in a racist society um by being the upholders of white supremacy culture that even though it benefits them they know on some level is uncompassionate not compassionate and harmful and i think for patriarchy it's the same thing these these you know men are often not happy because people who are happy don't abuse people. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to get curious about, like, what what causes someone to need to control another person to that mm-hmm. degree so that, I don't know, as we move forward, hopefully as a society, that we can... Um, hold people accountable, but also not believe that they're beyond redemption or healing because I just don't believe that.
0: It's wild how even just saying what happened sometimes feels so risky and scary. Yeah. Um, just literally stating X and then Y and then Z (laughs) it's just really, there can be really severe consequences for that. Um, so I really, you know, I really understand where you're coming from there and, and, you know, I hope, I hope Adam read the book and, you know, it helped in some way. Um, Me too. it's going to help a lot of people. Um, Thank you You know, there's just, you know, it's like you point out in the book over and over, like there's not, you know, there's still so much stigma about, about this. Uh, I don't want to say lifestyle. Is that the right <laughs> word? That's but, fine. Lifestyle. um, yeah that I think you know like it's it's brave what you did but it also shouldn't have to be brave you know mm. um so so thank you so much for for sharing it with us and for coming on and talking about it and being so open with us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was not gonna go there but it just came to me and it's tell us right. a little
1: bit about the podcast before you oh uh, yes I want to hear off. about your new podcast oh,
2: thank you yeah well so I have decided to just start my own and, you know, go for it because I've been thinking about it a long time. And I I was reminded doing uh, press for Open just how much I enjoy this format um, because I started in radio and had a podcast before when I was at Bustle. And so it's going to be called Help Existing. And the idea is that I'll interview, have a conversation with, you know, a different person each time about some aspect of existence that I could use some help with or other people could use some help with. So it'll have a wide range of topics. For example, one of the episodes is talking with Tashi, who's the Buddhist monk you meet at the end of the Mm -hmm. book about um, what we can do when we feel powerless over the state of world affairs. Um, Another conversation is with a journalist, um, of at Dion about uh, how can I as a white person enjoy um, culture specifically music made by black people without appropriating it somehow or somehow being gross and really digging into the the awkward um, nuances in all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just going to be a lot of different conversations that will hopefully be kind of uh, practical in their application for people's lives, but we'll leave a lot of room for, you know, the biggest existential questions. And also like, how do you have your first conversation around kink? (laughs) You know, like I, (laughs) I want it to be very highbrow, lowbrow like me.
0: (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And when is it, when is it coming out? In May. May. Okay. Excellent. Help existing. Yes, I can't wait. That sounds great.
2: Thank you so much. And lots of writers will be on there too. I'm sure different uh, friends, but probably talking about things that are a little more adjacent to writing in terms of just uh, things they've thought a lot about that might
0: be useful. That's awesome. Alex and I are available to talk about um, hockey, hockey, yeah, okay. <laughs> and, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> and I have a lot of opinions on peanut butter. So if that can help you, just let us know. <laughs> All
2: right. I'll Season two. My- peanut yeah. butter. I also feel passionately about uh, peanut butter. I do. I really am. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, well, thank you again for coming on, Rachel. This has been great. Thanks, thank Rachel. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the book and on the podcast. And we will see you on the internet. Thank
2: you. Yeah.
0: Well, you sound less sick. Yes. That's good.
1: Yep. Yep. Everybody else in my family is sick, but I am not. So great, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Other than that, been good. How have you been?
0: I've been good. We listened to this. So last night I went out to dinner. Mm -hmm. This morning, my children, my boys had swim at 8 Mm a.m. Then my middle child had a birthday party at a, um, like a trampoline place nice. and we all decided to go. Like oh, he yeah. went to the party and the rest of us just like also jumped and did stuff nice. there. And then see, now it's all becoming a wash. I'm just trying to tell you about how crazy the day was. Um, then I did like an hour workout after jumping. Uh, okay. Yeah.
1: I was going to say, were you just gassed?
0: The jumping actually made me like really pumped to work out. So huh. that's where I am in my life right now. I'm damn, a meathead, I guess. Um, (laughs) And then we all went to a playground and then first we went to the library. Then we went to the playground and then we went to a second playground. Oh my God. And then we came home and a friend, our neighbor came and played in the backyard. And so anyway, we're all just just tired. And I'm like, my house is trashed. There's just no time There's no time to like ever do anything (laughs) because we're just running around entertaining the kids.
1: Definitely true. We had like half as many things to do today. We had, you know, soccer for my oldest this morning. We had library. We had one playground and I feel fucking dead. So everything you just said, I, oh my God. The
0: the sun, when the sun comes out in the Midwest, it just takes it out of you.
1: Yeah. I also can't the sun i the sun eradicates me
0: yeah it's we're not used to it here and so it's like we get sunblasted and then that's it (laughs) we're gonna be asleep for the next two days
1: oh man i i texted you this at some point and i was laughing because we have yet to talk about your new novel that is coming out
0: yes oh my gosh on the podcast
1: which is absolutely ridiculous um,
0: yeah. So if anyone doesn't know this, I have a novel coming out in November of 2023 on Roxanne Gay Books, and it's called Hot Springs Drive. And um, it's based on a real crime that happened. I keep saying that. I don't know if people care, but I it's interesting to me. It, it's um, it's a real crime that happened. And as soon as I heard about it, I was like, I must write that novel. I must write that mother who had her teenage son kill her best friend by bludgeoning mm-hmm. um, because what the hell is happening there? You know, like what's going on in that mother-son relationship. And the book didn't end up being like too much about that. It's, um, I keep saying it's like the freest book I've ever written. It's mm-hmm. it's um, told in a variety of perspectives. So if that's your thing, boy, howdy. Um, I've got it for you. Uh so, yeah. So I, I'm working on that with Roxanne. It's incredibly exciting. It um, And you've
1: had to, I mean, you've known for a while now, you had yes. to kind of sit on that for a little bit, which is not uncommon to have to sit on the news no, for a while. It's but, becoming
0: increasingly common. I feel I,
1: yeah. um,
0: I've known since since September. That it was going right. to happen. Yeah. yeah.
1: In um, fact, I have known so long that I think there were like month long periods where I would forget.
0: <laughs> same, same 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 and then i
1: would be like wait Lindsay, holy shit you sold I didn't, your book
0: yeah i didn't i i got to sign my contract in january and before that i was like okay well maybe i like hallucinated this like maybe it's not real or like september yeah and so i you know i often tell myself things like oh well, it's only happening because they're they feel sorry for you or oh it's only happening because you know um so and anyway then i got to sign my contract and then you know Things things have started happening, and now it's out. Now it's the news is out. So amazing. That's all that matters. The book never has to come out.
1: It's right. Just, no, <laughs> I just get to just the news that it will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so the, so yeah, thanks
0: for asking. It's been.
1: And it's a new it's a new imprint. You're one of the first three books. Yes. Yeah, um, it's on
0: Grove. It's a it's an imprint of Grove Atlantic, called Roxanne Gay Books. Roxanne is personally editing it. Um, and yeah, she reached out to me in August and asked me if I had any books sitting around. (laughs) That's not, that's not how she put it, but
1: can you tell that story a little bit more? Can you kind of tell where you, um, well, yeah, I mean, kind of where you were with submitting the book at the time and kind of just what was, I mean, not, you don't have to go on forever, but I, I, it really is kind of a great story.
0: Yeah. So I wrote this book called broke even. This is, that was a different novel. I wrote that and I sent it to my agent in December of 2019. And, um, like in January, he got back to me that he loved it. And he thought it was like a great, a a good step up for me, um, commercial commercially, and he was excited to send it out. And we had a conversation where we mainly talked about how we didn't know if the 2020 election was going to torpedo the publishing industry, Um, but he was going to, you know, do his best to, to get me a good deal. Well, then, then the pandemic happened. Um, and, and we all know what happened there to publishing. Um, but we sent it to my agent or my editor at FSG who had the option and, um, ultimately not her, but her, her, her boss said no. So I was kind of adrift there. And then we kind of, um, gathered our resources and went back out and sent it to a bunch of editors at different houses. And, and that all, they all said no. Um, And I guess those of them that got back to us said no. Um, And so I, I was, I totally rewrote it. I rewrote it from word one into a completely different book with the same characters still about families and divorce and, um, but they were all on a cruise ship (laughs) So I was furiously writing that in the meantime, before I started, okay. So in between sending my agent broke even and rewriting broke even, I had written this other novel called hot Springs drive. Um, so it's like my, the novel I wrote during the the first, I don't know, 15 months of the pandemic. Um, and so, yeah, so when Roxanne reached out and asked me if I had books, I sent her all three of those, I sent her broke, even broke, even the rewrite and hot springs drive and she took hot springs drive. So um, it's amazing. Yeah. It's very wild. It's, it's incredibly wild. And I I hope people don't feel discouraged by that story because it feels like one of those, well, oh, they shouldn't just, you know, like you have to know someone or, you know, cause I know, no. I know how that feels. Um, but well,
1: I think, I think people should feel encouraged because for two reasons, one, you just kept working on stuff and there's obviously no guarantee that perseverance will yield success. I don't actually buy that, but you did have stuff ready when someone asked. And if you just kind of stay in this writing world long enough, you eventually just meet people, you know, people, and eventually people ask, and is that knowing someone? Well, yeah, it is. But I mean, I think eventually just you just end up knowing people. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't, it's mean true. Know, doesn't, gonna, I, doesn't mean you're gonna know you're gonna know someone who's starting an imprint, but it does mean you know, eventually you just you know agents, you know people who work at publishing houses, you know people who are reading for lit mags, you know, and you have to have stuff ready, whether it's a short story or it's you know, a novel, whatever it may be, like that's that's kind of how it works.
0: It's true because I remember when Daddy's was coming out, Zach um, at Featherproof said you know, you should start, you know, before this book comes out, you should start writing something new because people are going to ask you. And I was like, yeah, right, whatever. Well, the day it came out, I got tons of interests, agents right. and editors, and I had nothing. And I've been, at, I mean, I've been in that position so many times where someone has asked me, let me see this, let me see that. And I've had nothing. Um, exactly. But I mean, the main impulse I had to write hot spring, well, hot springs drive came to me because I just couldn't not write it, but also, The pandemic was so, you know, you know, everyone knows so deadening and disheartening and terrifying. And I had to keep like access to that side of myself. I had Mm -hmm. to, and you know, everyone knows, um, but I torture myself enough and I've come, I've come to just believe that like Roxanne, there must've been something to hot springs drive. Cause she's not going to agree yeah, to publish
1: it Come on <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? You know,
0: I'm just, I'm just Gosh. arguing. Um, Rachel said some of this on her, um, you know, in our conversation just now about how you're arguing with these phantom readers in your head or these phantom yeah. critics in your head. And that's what I'm doing. And it's all me. It's all, all me, all my insecurities, but I, I trust her enough. And this feels really good. I trust her enough to know She's going to tell me when something's bad. She's going to tell me when something needs work. And she's going to tell me that she likes something. And she's, she's just like that, you know, like she's just not going to blow smoke. Of um, course. So I've, I'm really excited. I feel like I'm in really good hands. And I also know like that this is like the kind of story that she loves. And so it feels like such a great spot for the book to land. Cause Definitely. that's just like, she loves that kind of stuff. So as do I.
1: And for people who have kind of listened along with us, been with us a long time, I mean, there are many, many, many episodes where you're talking about writing this book.
0: Yeah, totally. And, and I've I even mean, read from it.
1: You've read from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say like, this book is kind of symbiotically tied to this podcast in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, because it was what you were working on for so long early on.
0: Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> I was grinding and grinding every day mm-hmm. um, and it was a lot of fun and I hope, I hope people, hope people are ready for like a super weirdly structured like dark thing they are <laughs> okay good um yeah thank you for asking and of yeah i uh, oh jasmine chan told me to read easy beauty by chloe cooper jones
1: yeah because she had that event at uh women and children first right
0: yes and she is so right. I'm I'm reading it now. Oh, it no is way. so good. And I totally get where she was like, I just want Chloe to be my friend because she I feel the exact same way. It, yeah. <laughs> She's just like the book is incredible. Um, it's Easy called Beauty. Easy Beauty. And um she has great a title. Yeah, she has a condition called I think it's called sacral genesis. I she have was no born idea what a, That is it's very rare. She was born without a sacrum, so her body um, is differently abled and she's, um, pretty short. And, um, so it's her sort of grappling with, um, you know, how the world treats her. Um, and her really, she studied philosophy. So there's, there's a lot of that in there as well. Um, and her really like thinking about beauty. Um, Mm. so, but also she's just like an incredibly, she's an incredible thinker and Mm. very funny and like just want her to be my friend. So that's my next goal. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to work on her for that. <laughs> You're pretty um, good at,
1: you know, getting people on your side. So yeah, I believe yeah, in you.
0: Yeah. I'll send her some flowers. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> okay. Um, but that's it. We did it. We did it. Bye. I'm a writer, but is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah.